Welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast, a hopeful and helpful resource from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church in Utah. Each week we will be hearing from our staff as we explore what makes SMCC unique, as well as what it means to be fully devoted and fully delighted in Jesus Christ. We hope this podcast can be a helpful resource for you to take your next step with Jesus. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Fully Delighted Podcast. My name is Kyle Henderson, and I actually get to serve on staff uh, here at SMCC at our South Jordan campus as the campus pastor. Uh, I am here, uh, as always, with a couple of other pastors on staff. You guys are probably used to hearing uh, Adam Jones's uh, voice. He's our pastor of Central Ministries. He is on vacation right now uh, celebrating his anniversary, and so I get to fill in and and hang out with these guys. I got two guys with us. Uh, I believe I said it uh, last week, uh, maybe for the first time, but I get to say it again. Uh, pastor Eric is here, lead mm-hmm. pastor of SMCC. Yeah, yeah. I am very happy to serve in that role. Yeah, awesome. That's exciting for me. Awesome. Very cool. Super excited to be here. And then uh, to my right, I've got Pastor Trevor. Trevor is our uh, pastor of teaching and discipleship. Trevor, this is the first time I've sat across from you. The new guy. Do the you still guy. feel like the new guy? Do you, or uh, you feel like... <laughs> well, not as much. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, if people are going to call me that, then I suppose. But... <laughs> no one calls you that, I don't okay. think. No, I don't think That's anyone good. is. They've called you things like uh, Spider-Man, like Tobey Maguire, things I've like that. that. I've heard that. I've heard of that. Yeah. Bit, so. I will never call you that. I That's won't my either. commitment. But every time someone that. says that, I tell you, I'll never call you that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'll laugh whenever someone says that. Uh, well, hey, uh, super glad uh, to have uh, you guys here, to be able to be here with you. Um, you know, I mentioned uh, Adam is is out today. Uh, he's actually in Chicago. Uh, and uh, Trevor, you're, that's... That's where you're from, man. Stomping ground. Yeah. Stomping ground. Yeah, yeah I know. Past uh, about nine years spent wow. there. So, wow. yeah, he, had, he was sending me pictures, him and MJ. They actually got a tour of the school that uh, we all went to the same school together. So they yeah. got a tour and we're sending pictures. So some nostalgia there. You must have really liked your school. I don't plan to <laughs> go get a tour of the place that felt like torture. But <laughs> Although I don't think at my school, I don't think you need a tour. Small little school in Southern California. I think you just walk yeah. on campus and there's no one there. <laughs> yeah. Moody Bible is different, I it's suppose. Way it's way different. Like, place. It's like the Holy holy Lands. Well, for... you sing a song there that's uh, God bless the school that D.L. Moody founded. That's that's the you wait, wait, that's, 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 real? that's a legitimate oh song. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, well, very cool. Well, I think we'll uh, we'll jump right in. Although I do have a question. Uh, you from Chicago? Chicago's got a couple. It's known for their deep dish, you know, Chicago style pizza. Um, two different Chicago places that I've been to for pizza: mm-hmm. Lou Malnati's, and uh, mm-hmm. the other one is uh, Giordano's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what uh, What is your favorite? Do you have a, a preference? Yeah. Well, that that is definitely the deep dish rivalry that uh, I was introduced to when I got there between those two. And uh, Adam actually, he just they shot me a picture. They were or actually I saw it on Instagram. They were at Lou Malnati's, oh, nice. so which is not Illuminati. That's what I thought. I was like, <laughs> man, that sounds like a sketchy pizza place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, steer no, clear. They don't cut their pizza in triangles. Nothing weird like that. So. <laughs> Doesn't all pizza come in triangles, Trevor? <laughs> well, uh, we'll keep moving. So, okay. <laughs> I didn't mean one broad triangle. Uh, but the, the lore is that back in the day, there were two Malnati brothers, and uh, one continued, Lou Malnati's, that was Lou, mm-hmm. and then his brother started his own pizza company called uh, Paisano's, and that's our favorite. We went there every Christmas Eve, get a pizza from there. They decorate it like Christmas year-round, awesome. and uh, fun fact, it's also Oprah's favorite, so good company there. Yeah, you've always been an admirer of Oprah, I'm sure, Trevor. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's jump right in. So uh, this season has been, has been really awesome uh, for the podcast, for SMCC. Uh, in general. And uh, um, so we're kind of walking through uh, in this series that we're in uh, on weekends, uh, our doctrinal statements, uh, what Christians believe, specifically yeah. kind of 
what we believe as a church. Yeah, I thought it would be really valuable for this sort of next chapter in the life of SMCC to cover our doctrinal statement, yeah. both uh, for our staff, for our leaders, for our volunteers, for the brand new people that show up every week, for our podcast listeners. Um, this podcast has really been helpful in, in so many ways, people new to Utah, people considering um, joining our staff. And so we thought uh, putting the doctrinal statement into messages that can kind of live on into the future, both in podcasts and on our YouTube channel, uh, would be really valuable. So that's what we've been doing. Yeah, yeah, going through the statement. Awesome. And uh, um, we say it all the time, but uh, we the, the messages you can hear uh, on online uh, on weekends. You can watch them back on YouTube again, mm-hmm. and so they'll be super uh, vital uh, as we discuss this and dive into, uh, especially these doctrinal statements, because. We may pull some from uh, the message, but we're going to be, uh, I think you mentioned it uh, kind of in the preparation, Eric, we're going to be talking more about the history. Uh, yeah. And so I think that's going to be super vital. Yeah. Today's um, today's doctrinal statement, the second one um, in in this list of eight, is, uh, is pretty punchy. Yeah. Um, it has been fought over and people have died for, and um, it's, uh, it's a very uh, important, important doctrine. Yeah. So we're going to... We're going to read it and talk about it. Yeah, let me just go ahead and jump in and read it so we can uh, get started on this. So uh, SMCC, uh, doctrinal statement number two, we believe that there is one God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, Jesus Christ, and Holy Spirit. Yeah, and because, you know, that would be cumbersome to say every time we talk about what God is like, uh, smart, smart people have come up with one word to sum up this one and threeness and um that's the word trinity or tri unity so that's the that's the statement today now all of these doctrinal statements um they show up all throughout our church my kids came home from wild worship wednesdays at the draper campus with a coloring sheet that they were working on that was um explaining the trinity and i thought to myself number one i'm really proud of zana and our kids team because I, i want my kids to be learning about this um early. Uh, and number two, it's a reminder to our whole church that these statements show up throughout our services. I mean, in, in our programming, in kids ministry, in the middle of the summer at a Wild yeah. Worship Wednesday, they're learning Trinitarian theology. Yeah. And um, if you're a parent, I think I think that should excite you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it definitely mm-hmm. excites me. So rather than diving back into all the things we covered in the message, we want to go a little bit deeper mm-hmm. into um, the heresies that existed around the Trinity early on, the creeds that affirmed the Trinity early on. Um, I want to look at some passages that seem pretty challenging uh, to the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, And so I think that will be a a helpful uh, approach for today's podcast. But I think the most simple thing um, to say, and maybe the clearest way to think about the Trinity is something, Kyle, at your campus, I had people repeat back, because I really wanted to equip them to have these conversations themselves. People have these conversations with their friends and family and and neighbors, certainly LDS neighbors, Jehovah's yeah. Witness neighbors, uh, who have a different um, uh, belief about God's nature. But that was this this phrase, being is what you are, person is who you are. Mm-hmm. And so we uh, we had some fun laughing about all the bad analogies that exist <laughs> with the Trinity, uh, the stool analogy, the H2O analogy, the egg analogy, the shampoo, conditioner, and body wash analogy, <laughs> um, that, that uh, you know... People are, are doing their best to describe oneness and threeness. Yeah. Um, the problem with those those analogies is that they do break down because they're either completely distinct or one part is not the full part. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, and, and that's where, where the trouble comes in. Um, so, for example, someone came up to me in the lobby and they said, well, I, I think here's a good illustration. Um, I'm me, but I have a brain that's also me, a heart that's part, part of me, and a body that's part of me. I'm like, yeah, but if you take the body out of you, you don't have all of you. It's a part of you. 
But of course, the Trinity is not, you know, Jesus is not 33% God and the Father, 33% God and the Spirit, 33% God. Mm-hmm. That, that would be, that would be a her- the heresy of modal- modalism, or actually probably not modalism, probably partialism, that mm-hmm. each part is a part of the whole, and yeah. that is not true. Yeah. So yeah. anyways, we want to dive into it um, a bit more fully. Uh, Trevor, where should we start? Where do you want to start? Yeah, I think what's interesting is um, looking at the kind of the outworking, too, of um, when you take the kind of the different heresies, you can ask, well, how much does it really matter, you know, if the analogy isn't perfect, and then to kind of extend it out and see what it leads to. So you mentioned modalism. That's kind of the idea that God uh, almost like wears three different masks, mm-hmm. right? That that there's one God, and sometimes he shows up as the Father, sometimes he shows up as the Son, sometimes he shows up as the Holy Spirit. But one God uh, just kind of showing up at different times as a different person. And uh, I think what's really interesting with that is if you kind of tease it out on a worldview level, on like a metaphysical level, what you run into is you really only have one God. And so kind of appearing as three different people, but ultimately, you know, just like one uh, wearing three different masks. And so you run into the same problem that we talked about in the sermon, that fundamentally, uh, if there's only one person, then there's no ability for relationship, no ability for love, and that therefore cannot be central to who God is. Yeah, therefore he would be dependent on us to be a God of love and relationship. And if God Mm -hmm. is dependent on his creation, He's not all sufficient. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's not uh, not good. I don't think if he's not a god of love, and so yeah, a mm-hmm. unipersonal god would be one way to describe yeah. that. If he's not three and one and just one person, you run into some some major problems there. Yeah. On on top of the fact that that's just not how the Bible communicates what God is like. Yeah, meaning that's not how God communicates what He is like. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I think it's important to always mention. You know, we didn't sit around one day, and by we, I mean Christians coming up with let, let, let's think of something that'd be really confusing for people um <laughs> let's i know let's create something called trinity you know it, it's it was never that it was what's the how do we sum up what we see uh god revealed as mm-hmm. in the bible and then of course we have our statement which i think is very helpful and clear um people like to say well trinity is never used in the bible correct it is one word to sum up what the bible communicates about god's nature so mm-hmm. yeah that's one heresy one problem modalism. God the Father at creation, Jesus at salvation, mm-hmm. Spirit at sanctification. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are, um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they are one being, three persons, fully God, quality, essence, substance, all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. What so, else? You got some more heresies you want to tease oh, out? I got, I got some. Yeah, some modalism. <laughs> um, there's, there's other ones that go with modalism. There were different uh, versions sort of of modalism throughout uh, the first few centuries. Uh propagated by different church leaders. Uh, modalism is sometimes called, and this is hard for me to say, so I'm probably going to push this, <laughs> but Sabellianism, um, who was a, uh, a leader, I believe, in the church in Rome, who had his own view of that type of modalism uh, thing. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I th- the, the mode thing is, is very interesting. Um, here in Utah, people talk about um, the father the Son, and the Spirit being one in purpose. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think ultimately that, that comes back to a few other uh, heresies. So another one would be tritheism. Mm-hmm. Tritheism is that there are three different gods, which I, is a form of, of polytheism, mm-hmm. uh, three separate gods who share the same substance. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think that's worth thinking about. Then there's Arianism. Arianism taught that the preexistent Christ was the first and greatest of God's creatures, but denied his fully divine status. So, mm-hmm. um, 
Jesus yeah. was not fully God for all time. Yeah. Now, here's a question for you guys. I'm going to stump you on right. On, well, maybe I won't stump you, but someone asked me this in the lobby. They said, uh, before Jesus showed up in the first century, was he a spirit? Meaning, did he have a body mm. before he showed up in the first century? Anybody feel like going after that one? I'll, I'll on, dive on in spot? on that. Let's do I'll, it. I'll yeah. dive in on that. So I would say that... Uh, you actually see Jesus, uh, I mean, not with the identity Jesus, you see the second person of the Trinity appearing throughout the Old Testament in different instances. Often called a Christophany. Yeah, Christophany. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, sometimes referred to as like the angel of the Lord. Um, if you look at passages like Genesis 32, Jacob wrestling with God, um, yet yeah, theologians for the most part believe that that was the second person of the Trinity, the, mm-hmm. the pre-incarnate Christ, incarnate yep. being a reference to the incarnation. Because mm-hmm. when he did show up in the first century, Jesus was taking on our humanity, forever uniting his divinity, his divine nature, to his human nature mm-hmm. so that he could die as a sacrifice for us. And so taking on that, um, you know, being Jesus of Nazareth for all of, for all of eternity, really, mm-hmm. to bring about our, uh, our redemption. Um, but before that, you know, appeared at times physically, mm-hmm. but um, I wouldn't say uh, right. in any consistent basis, not until the incarnation did right. he have a physical body. Right. Yeah. Deity took on humanity. Exactly. The incarnation. Mm-hmm. That's one way to think about it. So the next question that followed in the lobby was, so when I'm in heaven, do I see three different uh, people or do I see one person, Jesus? What do you, what do you guys think about that? That's a good question. That's a good question. I, I, gave, I gave her my answer. I remember my answer, but mm-hmm. I, I want to hear what you, what you would say. I would say that I believe you will see Jesus. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Uh, yep. The Holy Spirit. I, I don't know that you'll actually see the Holy Spirit in any right. physical way. Right. Um, not that there won't be interaction. Mm-hmm. And then with God the Father, I got to say... There's certain things that make me like the like the Isaiah six passage. Mm-hmm. That that's what makes me think that there will be a, a way to action. But I'm curious to see what you. Yeah, no, I think say. I think as uh, you know, it's is often talked about. God does not have a body, mm-hmm. uh, and in that sense, the first person of the Trinity. Yeah, uh, and yet there, I'm gonna use a big word because I just don't have a. It, this is not a plain word, but a manifestation. What's a what's what's that word in plain language? Uh, an appearing of, a showing yeah, of, yeah. Yeah. a demonstration good. of. So throughout the Old Testament, you see that, whether that's the burning bush or a cloud or fire or smoke, yeah. you see um, the first person of the Trinity, but it's not a body. It's not a person. It's not a guy with a, you know, a big beard. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, one of, those, one of those white guy gray beard things, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that I think you see in some art sometimes. But um, so I think it's, it's, to your point, you will see Jesus and you will know mm-hmm. um, the presence of God, the Father, and the Spirit, first yeah. person, third person. But I think, uh, I don't know what that first person of the Trinity will look like. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I think, I think uh-huh. uh, this goes back to all the heresies and all these different uh, early church fathers trying to have their own different mm-hmm. um, belief or translation of uh, the Trinity. Uh, even I- images, uh, pictures, painters, we struggle with things that we cannot understand. So we try and put on paper and words and pictures things that uh, will help us understand what we're listening mm-hmm. to or hearing and so we have a hard time because all we see is white guy you know very yeah. tall white guy with the big white beard father time father time yeah that's what we father see. time that's, that's what, what people see. think yeah so yeah. there's yeah. father time there's beauty pageant jesus <laughs> and then the spirit is just the wind blowing in the trees you yes. know that's yeah. Yeah. that's probably how you know a lot of people think of think of that yeah um mm-hmm. 
So, anyways, those are those are tricky questions, yeah. though, and I, I so appreciate those questions. Uh, Sunday in the lobby. Um, so we talked about Arianism. The other mm-hmm. one is just the opposite, do- Docetism, which mm-hmm. taught that Jesus Christ uh, is divine, who had only the appearance of being human. So he only looked yeah. like he mm-hmm. was human, but he actually he actually wasn't. Which, of course, is majorly problematic when it comes to salvation, yeah. because. Mm-hmm. Uh, legally uh he could not have been our representative right could mm-hmm. not have taken our place um so mm-hmm. i think that's that's one of them um let's see macedonianism that the holy spirit's a created being adoptionism that jesus was born totally human and somehow adopted mm-hmm. at his baptism or resurrection into some sort of divinity partialism that they they each make up a component of the one god mm-hmm. and then this one is hard to say but uh uh, Ebionitism is how I try and say that. Um, mm. That uh, yeah, he uh, he was just simply human. That yeah. there mm-hmm. he he wasn't divine. He was he was human, but somehow had these characteristics or gifts or whatever that made him appear perhaps divine. But he he actually was just just human. So those are some of the the heresies that existed around the Trinity, around the nature of Jesus, that uh, all were condemned um, as heretical or as wrong throughout. Um, the mm-hmm. early parts of church history. Yeah. And yeah. how would you, Eric, just to go back, because you mentioned uh, if if Jesus, and I've heard this, uh, especially in our current context, um, you know, adoptionism and um, Jesus being human and then at some point becoming divine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned if he was just fully divine, uh, that it would it would be very problematic for salvation. Yeah. Um, what's the flip side of that if he was just human with some special traits? What's yeah. problematic for, for that within... Well, I think there's I think there's two important things to to that one. Um, uh, the first being um, he doesn't have the authority to forgive sins yeah. because sin is rebellion against God. If Jesus is not God, he doesn't have the authority to forgive that rebellion against him. Right. So I think that would be a problem. And you, I think you see that in the Gospels. Yeah. It's like, yeah. whoa, only God has the authority to forgive. That's what right. that's what Jesus is criticized with, yeah. mm-hmm. and um, the reason he can forgive is because he's fully God. The second uh, would be um, his sinless nature. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. um, God is sinless. Mm-hmm. Uh, humans are sinful, all of them. Yep. And uh, if he's going to be a perfect sacrifice, um, which is what's required uh, for uh, sin to be taken away, and it's what's required for righteousness. to to have a right standing with God, yeah. that Jesus is standing, his status, his record to be imputed to us needs to be perfect. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. it's his perfect record that's imputed to us, his righteousness to us, our sinfulness to him. He only has that record if he's fully God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think those are the, the two massive uh, things that are at stake if he's not fully God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. That's yeah. very helpful. Those are great questions. Yeah. So... Um, Creeds. What are the, what's a creed, Trevor? Um, not like mm-hmm. the band, the band. Oh, no, with, the, with, the, yeah. with a scratchy <laughs> voice that uh, I refuse to listen to. Um, but but creeds were really helpful. Were, I thought you were in a creed cover band. No, it's not. No. That wasn't what your band was. No, no. Don't no. you have a creed tattoo on your shoulder or something? <laughs> uh, no, not at all. Um, if anybody out there listens to Creed. Um, I don't know if we can be friends. Uh, I'm just kidding. You're fine. Uh, but what was the creed? What was the purpose of, of these creeds throughout church history? And Trevor, what do we know about them in terms of um, the Trinity? Yeah, yeah, no, good question. I would say that the creeds are a summary of essential doctrine. Uh, they're a summary of essential teaching, kind of trying to summarize the, the most important and the fundamental teachings that the Bible 
um, teach us that the Bible contains. And so with that, we see several, uh, four or five different creeds that develop in the early um, kind of first first several centuries of the church. Um, I mentioned, I'm going to say four, because the fifth one's one I don't know a whole yeah. lot about, the Athanasian <laughs> Creed. That was a little more mysterious. But the four creeds, um, the Apostles, the Nicene, the Nicene Constantinople Creed, and then the Chalcedonian Creed, those four we know a lot about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with those, they were, yeah, again, given a summary of kind of essential doctrine. And there were conversations taking place throughout these centuries around uh, certain ideas. Like the Nicene Creed, for example, talks about, um, or that, that council the, was in 325, the Nicene Constantinople was in 381. And both of those were convened in the midst of uh, conversations around Arianism. Mm-hmm. This conversation around, is Jesus really uh, divine? Is he fully God or is he not? And these were the uh, kind of the, the main conversations where everyone was brought together, leaders in the church across the Mediterranean world, uh, to discuss this, to dive into the Bible, to talk theology, to figure out exactly what is true and good doctrine, what does the Bible teach, and uh, and figure these things out. And so... Um, that's what the creeds are. And I think what's interesting when it comes to the Trinity is that through all four of these creeds, Apostles, Nicene, Nicene, Constantinople, and the Chalcedonian, maybe in the Athanasian too, I'm just not as familiar with the mm-hmm. contents of that, but with all four of them, you see uh, it's stated that the all three persons of the Trinity, the mm-hmm. Father, the Son, and the Spirit, even the structure of the creeds mm-hmm. follows that exactly, um, mm-hmm. claiming belief in all of them. Often, I think they all start with the statement that there is one God, too. Mm-hmm. And so one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, all affirming a belief in the Trinity. And uh, if we... I can even read the, the Nicene-Constantinople Creed a little bit, because that um, that's the most robust of the four, I would say. The Chalcedonian Creed gets more into uh, how do we understand Jesus being both divine and human, mm-hmm. and those two natures in, in one person. But the Nicene-Constantinople Creed, it just reads like this. I believe in one God, so we see that right off the bat, Mm -hmm. one God, and then the first person of the Trinity, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. Then we see second person of the Trinity. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. And then right here, they go into some work to basically say, to, to show that Jesus is fully God. This is what the church believes. Yeah. This is what the Bible teaches. They say about Jesus, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him, all things were made, right? So doing everything they can to give language yeah. to say he is fully <laughs> yeah, God. Yeah. Colossians 1 is certainly on their minds yeah. at this point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And then it goes on to talk about um, you know him being born, taking on our humanity, uh, crucified under Pontius Pilate, suffered, was buried, rose again, um, things like that ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. So that's the section on Jesus. And then, third person of the Trinity. Up until that point, that's really the 325 creed. And then uh, after, what they add in 381 is just this section on the Holy Spirit. They Mm -hmm. decide to beef that up a bit and really add in some of the stuff that was contained in the Apostles' Creed. Mm -hmm. And so they say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, So third person of the Trinity there. The Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets, and then just some statements on, I believe, in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Catholic there meaning universal, right? Yes. <laughs> Got to touch on that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and so that's really the creed, right? One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Yeah. Good work, man. Thanks for taking us through all that. Um, one of the things we wanted to do in the sermon on Sunday is to make really clear the passages that communicate that there is one God, 
monotheism and the passages that communicate also God the Father is God. Mm-hmm. And I took time to break down what we mean with, with God the Father. It's not Daddy God, and people yeah. in Utah laughed at that one. Yeah. Because that's not that's not what that means. But certainly the characteristics of a good father um, are seen in the first person of the Trinity. Uh, so we walk through that. Um, and then, of course, when people hear Jesus or the Son, there's a whole other mm-hmm. realm of confusion there because they hear Father and Son, and we instantly think offspring. But that's not mm-hmm. the use of the Greek there. It's not Son of, but the essence of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's really important to get right. And then um, the Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Also, uh, you see pronouns used, mm-hmm. He, um, to talk mm-hmm. about the Holy Spirit. So not yep. this force or feeling or ooze or wind, although the way He works is mm-hmm. often like the wind. Mm-hmm. He is not wind. Mm-hmm. He is a person, the third person of the Trinity. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, that is uh, what the Bible communicates, that there is one and also three. Now, one of the things I think is interesting, Trevor, as you were walking through the creeds, um, even in the New Testament, we see statements that were that the Apostle Paul included uh, basically as quotes. The type of creed or doctrinal statement that would be repeated in the local church community, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, Early on, I mean, right away, essentially. Yeah. Like so, for in for example, uh, Colossians one uh, verse sixteen, the apostle Paul is talking about the supremacy of, supremacy of Jesus and says, "For in Him all things were created." Then you get this little dot dot. That's a colon, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I almost call it a semicolon. Semicolon has a little comma. <laughs> yeah, the comma. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Com. All right. Colon. Yeah. So the reason this is set apart is that this was a quote. This was the type of thing that was uh, repeated in church, and this is Colossians probably written. Gosh. 50, 60 AD. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is early, early. Yeah. And he goes on, um, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, semicolon, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And the passage goes on. Mm-hmm. Point being is you had these creedal type of statements uh, that existed very early on. So when uh, the you know the uh, Apostles' Creed comes about, the Nicene Creed comes about. Um, they are simply doing what the church did right away. What are the core truths? It was basically mm-hmm. um, what we're trying to do in, in this series, which is communicate those truths to people in a way that's uh, authoritative, mm-hmm. that's uh, that's that has boundaries around it, that's um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that that really um, guides what is true, and then also corrects what is. What is false? Now, I grew up in a in a. Um, I didn't grow up in church, but for about a year of my life, I went to an Episcopal church, and every Sunday we said the Nicene Creed, which uh, for me was interesting. I had no idea what it meant, mm-hmm. um, but I do understand the value of repeating these things often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that's interesting. Um, so we've talked a little bit about those heresies. We've talked a little bit uh, about the creeds. Um, what's uh, what else do you guys want to dive into that we could uh, flush out for our listeners today? Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, I just want to touch back real quick on uh, you know I've I've got plenty of friends who are in and out of out of the local church and and uh, some of the the big uh, conversations they've had with me uh, is uh, something along the lines of oh, well what gives those guys in the three hundreds and you know the authority mm-hmm. to say X Y and Z uh, and you brought it up Trevor that um, you know there these creeds came about to say these are the core truths mm-hmm. uh, in response to certain heresies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you see that with even passages that Eric has read and, and all through, littered throughout uh, the Apostle Paul's epistles. Like, he is saying these statements, these core truths, oftentimes in response to heresies that are cropping up in these early churches. And so, uh, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, that stuff's happening. 
320, 380, you know, 400, that stuff's happening. And so it's, it's the, the reason why SMCC exists to explain uh, these core truths in a helpful and hopeful way mm-hmm. um, to give people hope through them. But to say, um, man, these are, these are the core truths because they are pushing back against the lies that are out there or the heresies that are out there. And so mm-hmm. um, what gives them the authority is, uh, well, God, first and foremost, but yeah. the Apostle Paul lays it out throughout a lot of his letters to these churches who are struggling with um, internal conflict and people coming in and, and giving them, as Paul, the Apostle Paul says, a new gospel, a gospel yeah. that's different than the one that he first brought to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like, no, that, that's really helpful. Um, you know, one of the things I wanted to make really clear on Sunday is um, not only is this what the Bible says, yeah. uh, this makes sense uh, philosophically, kind of mm-hmm. existentially as mm-hmm. well, because we live in a culture uh, that, that treasures relationship and treasures love. Yeah. And you have to ask, well, where did that come from? Who created that? Mm-hmm. Who gets to say? Yeah. Well, um, in order to create those things, you must have those things within you. Mm-hmm. So often mm-hmm. we talk about the beginning of the universe, so whatever caused... Time, matter, space, energy must be timeless, immaterial, Mm -hmm. all powerful. Mm -hmm. And then, so you have to ask the question well, what caused love? What created love and relationship? Well, whatever that was, Mm -hmm. uh, must be something that contains love and relationship uh, to a degree that it could overflow into humanity. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that the only logical conclusion of what could have caused that Mm -hmm. is a Trinitarian God. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I think, over the last few weeks, that's what stood out to me mm-hmm. in a fresh way as mm-hmm. I was studying the Trinity again. It's like, well, that's what the Bible says, so I believe it, and that is fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, I think it makes the most sense of what could cause a world that um, values and prioritizes love and relationships. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Are you tracking with me? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, so I have the privilege of teaching some classes, uh, formerly called Essential Christianity, but uh, it's gone through a few different name changes. But one of the things we talk about, because the Trinity is a very difficult topic to understand, mm-hmm. Um, but the most helpful thing in the year and a half, almost two years that I've been here, uh, that's been reminded to, uh, to me and my study and my preparation for these classes each semester is, is that aspect of it. Like if God exists solely as one being, then how does that one being understand what love is mm-hmm. in community if it mm-hmm. you can't love itself, right. you know? Uh, and so the only way it makes sense is that mm-hmm. God is, has eternally existed, loving in community in three parts. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Because if he's not that, uh, he needs us to be a loving God. Right. He needs us to glorify him. And then we get back to a God that's uh, egotistical, yeah. isolated, um, uh, lacking. Yeah. And that would be a God mm-hmm. not worthy of our worship. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Kyle, I, I gave you a shout out on Sunday, and I really do mean this. I think you're one of the most Trinitarian people I know because of how much you prioritize love and relationship. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I really wanted to say that for a couple of reasons, but... But one of them was to uh, help our people see how Trinitarian theology shows up in, in everyday life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, because what we, what we know is that if God has invited us into the relationship, the joy, the delight um, that exists inside the Trinity, then we were made for a relationship. We can enjoy that with Him, and then we get to invite others into relationship too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing that flows out of Trinitarian Theology. I was trying to make it clear to people. Um, I think we've all experienced this, but you ever felt like an outsider looking in? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I went back to middle school. That happened a lot at a middle school dance, just being by myself, yeah. wishing, <laughs> wishing I was in the dance, um, being in the cafeteria at, in high school, wishing I was sitting at the table, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And then, and then later on in life, sitting around campfires, just thinking, this is what community was meant to be like. Yeah. You know, like we know mm-hmm. what that's like. And however you want to describe it, 
the Trinity has that perfect loving community, mm-hmm. and and uh, we are invited into that dance. We are invited in yeah. to sit at the table. We're invited in to sit around that fire, and um, that's uh, that's an incredible, incredible thing. Absolutely. So Trinitarian yeah. theology is um, the the healthiest way to view. Uh, God's nature, not only because the Bible says so, not only because philosophy, uh, I think, leads us to that conclusion mm-hmm. too, but because it creates people who who can love well. Yeah. And I think that's uh, that's a really important thing to keep in mind. All those things are important to keep mm-hmm. in mind when we think about the Trinity. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, not everybody buys this. Yes. Not everybody thinks of God like this. Um, let's talk about a few of the objections now and try to handle them one by one. Um, of course, my friend Wishbone83 over on our YouTube channel, who was, you know, <laughs> lighting me up, uh, said the Trinity is not biblical. Wishbone83. Uh, how would you respond to that, Trevor or Kyle? When people say the Trinity is not in the Bible, what's, what's, a, what's your go-to answer? What can be somebody's go-to answer to uh, provide clarity and even correction there? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd walk through the same process that we did on Sunday, just showing that the Bible teaches uh, this set of four truths concerning God, that there is one God, that the Father is God, that Jesus is God, and that the Spirit is God. And so how do we make sense of that? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Trinity, that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the concept, right? That. So when someone says the Trinity is not in the Bible, they're probably mm-hmm. meaning the word itself. The phrase, yes. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, they're not referring to what you just said, those four truths. They're usually referring to the word now, I, I just think it's helpful to acknowledge, right, that word is not in there. That word is a summation yeah. of God's nature. Mm-hmm. And I think that can move the conversation forward. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's a, that's a helpful way to, uh, to talk about it. I'm looking through all of our, all of our uh, you know, criticism on our YouTube channel. The triune God is just a nonsensical invention, meaning it doesn't make sense. I hope today we've explained how it makes sense, both yeah. philosophically and existentially, both in what we value as people relationship mm-hmm. and love and both in and also in what the Bible communicates. So I hope I hope that stands out. Mm-hmm. Um, anything well, else to add well, to that? And, well, and we've also said too, uh, we're dealing with something that's uh, supernatural, right? And so yes, in our mind it's really hard to understand the whole water, ice, you know, uh, uh, steam analogy. Like we only see it as one thing. It can't be all three at the mm-hmm. same time. And so human beings, it, it's it someone who says it doesn't make sense, um, I would say you're on the right track then. I mean, mm-hmm. I even leaving this, it makes more sense, um, mm-hmm. but it's something that is outside of the realms of the mm-hmm. natural law. Right. And so, Yeah. I think I might throw in two things too, just in light of the comments in particular, right? There's one that says uh, from Ari Jr., um, you know, triune God is just a nonsensical invention. You know, Jesus clearly states that God is only made by the Son and... Knock my water over. <laughs> by the Son and by the Father. Um, but I think it's interesting if you jump to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, the book of Matthew, the very end of it, passage known as the Great Commission, chapter uh, 28, 28, verses yeah. 19 and 20, he mm-hmm. says, um, he's given them, the, the disciples, the command to yeah. make disciples of every nation, and he instructs them as the first step in that process to baptize them in the name, not just of God broadly, mm-hmm. not just in the, the Father and in Jesus and the Son, but in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And you see that same formula repeated at the end of the letter, 2 Corinthians 2, from Paul. But yeah. So to that, we, we see Jesus affirming all three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I was to add one other thing, 
to the word prophet, the first comment yeah. saying that, uh, you know, being in person, uh, I, th- I think reading into it, being in person are just these philosophical terms that have nothing to do with the Bible. Uh, and even like the Trinity not has nothing to do with one word of the Holy Bible, referencing that as the King James Version, which, you know, we... Uh, we like the NIV. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, too, that I would say one of the interesting things about Christianity is that it's not monocultural. And so when, you, when a person becomes a Christian, they don't have to adopt another language, another culture. Um, in that sense, Christianity actually infuses itself into every culture, mm-hmm. uh, redeeming the best pieces of that culture, and I think really bringing out the best parts of it. Um, and included within that is language, and that's why part of the work of theology across the scope of the church has been to develop new language as Christianity infuses different mm-hmm. cultures to help us understand the Bible and God and theology well. Right. Um, and that's why that's something that's okay and even yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, totally. I mean, you mm-hmm. make a, you make a wonderful point there. Um, you know, this these words are not in the Bible. Well, your words, word prophet, aren't either because English wasn't isn't in the Bible. So that's right. do you you yeah. know you don't want to go down that road and play. The, um, the the semantics game, because yeah. to your point, Trevor, um, yeah, Christianity showed up in time and culture, but it's for every tribe, tongue, and nation. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to have words that aren't in the Bible, so to speak, to yeah. describe the truth of the words that are in the Bible yeah. for the culture that you're in. So I think we, I want to wrap up with, uh, with just two things that I think would be really uh, fun. Uh, the first is some, uh, a passage that I think is, is challenging to Trinitarian theology, and that's the baptism of Jesus, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what do we do with that? Um, because there are passages where we see oneness, there are passages where we see threeness, mm-hmm. and that can be confusing. But now that we have these categories in our minds of what and who, I think we can, we can say, okay, that type of passage helps us see the persons yeah. of mm-hmm. the Trinity, the persons of God, or this passage helps me see the being or the what of who God is. Yeah. And so that's important. And I think I want to talk about that in the baptism of Jesus. And then I also want to talk about Philippians 2, which mm-hmm. once again was another uh, sort of creedal statement mm-hmm. that existed in the first century, and talk about the roles of the persons of the Holy Spirit, because they don't all have the same uh, function. There's mm-hmm. subordination yeah. in uh, the Trinity. And I think I want to wrap up with that. So uh, can you read the baptism passage? Uh, for Jesus, Trevor? Yeah, uh, Matthew chapter... We're, we're going with one out of Matthew. Sure, I have uh, Luke pulled up, but yeah, they, okay. both, they both work. <laughs> yeah, they both are. <laughs> chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan uh, to John. So Jordan River, John the Baptist being there, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, meaning John agreed to baptize him. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Yeah. So this is, this is a challenging um, passage. Uh, for a few reasons, but I, I want to, you know, help our listeners and kind of clear it up. Um, you can see how some people will go with the adoptionism heresy mm-hmm. here. Like, yeah. well, yeah, the voice was then uh, labeled, you know, the, the voice then identified him as the son of God at that moment. Um, or so he wasn't fully God, and, or is he created? Because once again, it was the son of mm-hmm. uh, language. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. And I think it's important to um, un- unpack all that. Um, 
I think in the language son of is essence of. Mm -hmm. uh, and so therefore, uh, I think this is the first person of the Trinity affirming the full divinity of the second person of the Trinity. Uh, the Holy Spirit shows up, and I think this is once again seeing the third person of the Trinity on display in, in this mm -hmm. passage. And so some people could look at this and say, what's going on with Jesus here? Is this you know somehow uh, violating um, the fully God, fully man uh, truth that Christians yeah. believe? I don't think it, it is. I think, in fact, it's affirming that. Um, and then I think there are two other things worth mentioning. You know, when people, people often ask, why did Jesus get baptized? If he didn't have sin to, you know, like why? why? I think there's just really two things. Uh, as he's beginning uh, his ministry, uh, this is affirming um, John the Baptist and the work that John had mm -hmm. done uh, mm -hmm. by stepping into um, John's ministry in this way. Uh, it, it begins to build on what John has been saying. Yeah. And so there's a support there for John's ministry. And then secondly, I think as Jesus begins his ministry, uh, he would take our place. And I think this is part of him identifying with the sinner mm -hmm. uh, by identifying in the baptism of a sinner that John was doing at that time. Yeah. So I think it's yeah. definitely a, um, as we say, Jesus took our place. I think we even see that theme to his ministry show up in the baptism. So for those two yeah. reasons, Jesus was baptized. I know a lot of people have given other reasons for why Jesus was baptized, but I think those two are are, are the primary ones. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, I wanted our listeners to understand that in this moment, we see the three persons of the Trinity on display. Um, but in the language itself of the moment, we don't see partiality. Right. The This is my son whom I'm well pleased. Um, that is a statement of full divinity. Trevor, mm -hmm. anything else there with um, the baptism that you want to, you know, shed light on? Yeah. Um, I mean, this isn't necessarily a, a direct tie into the Trinity, but I think it's interesting that what follows right after it is the temptation of Jesus, and he, uh, you know, he's being tempted in the wilderness, and uh, he responds to every one of the temptations with the Bible, but I think, you know, we talk about full devotion, full delight, that uh, kind of parsing that out as authority, identity, activity. And I feel like you see this uh, sort of statement of identity, this security that each person of the Trinity has in the love, in that the loving yeah. community, and uh, almost like a demonstration for us of how much security and grounding mm. comes from having our identity found fully uh, in Christ. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I really like that. You know, in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about how the Spirit glorifies the Son, the Son glorifies the Father. And um, I think that's uh, that's another place where we see Trinitarian theology on display and the glory that is given, uh, the worship that's given among the Trinity. And I think mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of a wild concept to think about. But um, but to your point, the, uh, the wholeness and completeness of Trinitarian theology uh, makes the most sense of what would what would be required for God to be God, mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So I think I think we see that. Um, now, the the last thing I want to jump to is Philippians two, which uh, people have read and have said, okay, this throws a wrench in all that you guys are talking about. Philippians two has has it set apart uh, in my Bible this poetic passage, this uh, perhaps a song that was sung, maybe, mm -hmm. uh, but definitely a, a statement that existed for the church. Um, the Apostle Paul is talking about Jesus in five. This is the setup to the creed itself. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, colon. And this is now set apart. Who, being in very nature God. Okay, Jesus is in very nature God, fully God. Mm -hmm. Same essence, same quality. 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. The Greek word there, oh man, it's been a while since I've, I've said this word out loud. Uh, epikinesis, is that the word that's described right here with uh, um, Jesus in this moment? Um, submitting, taking a different role, uh, Trevor? Yeah, it is like the kenosis passage, yeah. right? The, the yeah. emptying. Right, yeah. right, right. Mm-hmm. Yep, the emptying out. Um, mm-hmm. So how do we understand that? This different, it did not consider equality. How would you, how would you talk about that? Yeah, I would say that uh, you know, one God and three persons, one being three, uh, one what, three who's. Mm-hmm. And within that, um, you know, even in the Matthew passage, we were talking about the ways that they interact with one another, and there's different roles that they play within the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, one thing that's kind of fascinating is you can get into these two different uh, concepts that people will talk about, theologians will talk about, called the economic Trinity versus the ontological Trinity. <laughs> and uh, just the question is, are the roles um, eternal? Or are they happening right now in redemption history as we know it, as the story of reality is unfolding? And uh, I think that's more of kind of splitting hairs than anything. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but what we see here is that Jesus, uh, second person to the Trinity, took on our humanity to bring about our redemption. And uh, the role that we see him playing within the Trinity in redemption history is that of submitting to the will of the Father mm-hmm. and doing so as a, as a choice, as a... As a as a loving decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so kenosis, emptying of, what did he empty himself of? That's the question. What did he yeah. give up in his uh, in the incarnation? Did he give up deity? Did he give up... What, what was it that he gave up? And my, my answer yeah. to that is he, he gave up the privilege of deity. He gave mm-hmm. up the rights and privileges due him to serve. And I think mm-hmm. that's the point in context, is that we too can give up our rights and privileges to serve. Yeah. So I don't think we should read this as he emptied himself in any way, of his divinity, um, what we should read it as is he emptied himself, laid aside his privileges and rights as fully God. Yeah, if, mm-hmm. if that that first part uh, of verse six uh, did not consider equality God something to be used to his advantage. So what he emptied himself was uh, of was his advantage that he could have used mm-hmm. as equality with God, as equal with God. So that's what he emptied, not divinity in of itself, mm-hmm. um, but the, like you said, the privilege that he had, yeah. which points back to verse four, uh, a little earlier, um, where he says, uh, not looking, well, rather than humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of others. So we have also the ability to uh, empty ourselves of any privilege uh, we have mm-hmm. uh, to serve other people. Yeah. Yep. So I think if you were if you were trying to read Jesus was not fully God, trying mm-hmm. to do some eisegesis and read it in, you could twist this passage yeah. to get there. But that's not what this passage is saying, and I think that's really important. So, anyways, guys, let's sum up what we've what we've covered here. Uh, We've talked about a lot. We've talked about the heresies that exist around the Trinity. We've Mm -hmm. talked about the creeds that establish the truth of the Trinity. We've talked about why it matters both in salvation and relationship. Why it matters because this is what the Bible reveals. We've talked about some passages that uh, need to be addressed, um, both for people who. Uh, accept the doctrine of the Trinity, and for those who uh, reject it, we have to look at these passages yeah. and say, what are they saying? And so we've done that. I think we've done a nice job of adding to, to Sunday's message. Um, of mm-hmm. course, this is something that's challenged the, the brightest of people for thousands mm-hmm. of years, and so if you have more questions, that would be normal. Yeah. Uh, continue to investigate. Continue yeah. to investigate this. Um, but here at SMCC, this core reality uh, shapes um, us in so many ways. Um, 
pri- you know, primarily in uh, how we worship Jesus, how mm-hmm. we worship the Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, how we exist uh, to lead people into relationship, and how mm-hmm. there's uh, complete joy and satisfaction, uh, full devotion and full delight in a relationship with God. So that's all Trinitarian mm-hmm. yeah. at, at the core. Yeah. So anyways, I hope people... Um, my hope for people is that they would look into this and um, embrace Trinitarian theology themselves, seeing God as one in three, because I think this is the healthiest way um, to live our lives. Yeah. So and I think we can wrap up with that. I think so, too. And I think uh, just for the listener who does get hung up on uh, the fact that the word Trinity is not in, um, yes, you're right. But I think uh, don't get hung up on that fact. Get uh, in, enticed or excited by uh, the different times throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that you see these these different pieces of what totally you know what Scripture shows and and you know if if you have all the time in the world to every time you describe God describe what one and three means feel free <laughs> if you, if you, you know no one's forcing you to use the word Trinity yeah. uh, except for uh, the logistics of time constraints right. because yeah. it would just take a long time yeah. to yeah. unpack this every time you talked about God so yeah. uh, the shorthand version for the sake of time and simplicity and clarity is to use the word Trinity. So that's what we do here. Well, cool. Well, thank you guys so much for your time. Uh, I hope you as a listener uh, felt that this was helpful. Um, As always, uh, uh, look forward to seeing you guys back the next time we jump on the, uh, as uh, Trevor calls it, the pod, or as Eric calls it, the cast. So (laughs) we'll see you guys next time. Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted Podcast. If you enjoyed this hopeful and helpful resource, We'd love to have you leave us a review or share an episode with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit us at our website at smccutah.org. Thank you for trusting us with your time, and we look forward to having you back again soon.